What's up, all you cool cats and kittens? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Rams Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge is obviously the official beer of DNVR. With Father's Day coming up, I can't think of a more perfect time to grab a 15-can variety pack from Breckenridge Brewery. Now, this is going to give you just a little bit of everything. You know, you want some Hot Peak IPA, maybe somebody wants some Strawberry Sky, you know, maybe you're just going with the tried and true classic, the Avalanche Ale. That's always been my favorite. I know it's not quite as exciting as some of the other ones, but hey, when you love something, you love something. I love the Avalanche Ale. Grab the 15-can sampler at a liquor store near you. Use the Breck Brew Locator to take all the inconvenience out of beer shopping. If you're in the metro area, you can even get it delivered to your house with Davidson's. Davidson's uh, it's just such a clutch, clutch local company. Check out that app for all kinds of cool rewards. Uh, their specials. They're just a really, really knowledgeable group. We got a lot of love for them. So shout out to Breck. Shout out to Davidson's. Support our partners. That's a form of supporting us. All right. Joining me for the second time, we've got Brandon Goble of Juco Advocate. Brandon, what's up, my man? You picking up any new hobbies during quarantine? You know, I think I think I just sit here and stare at four walls and like come up with crazy crap to do and then just like do it. I don't know. We were talking earlier there about like t-shirt designs and and stuff. Like today I've got this this like new Photoshop thing that I'm gonna screw around with and see if I can learn it because why not? <laughs> I keep telling myself that I'm going to use this time to be productive and like refine all these Adobe skills. And I'm like, perfect. Like I can get better at Photoshop and I can get better at video editing. And I've opened it up like four times. Right. Just, yeah. Or I, I can watch something on Hulu. <laughs> exactly. Like there's so much content. And now I, I went back home to help my dad with a home project. And I found an old copy of NCAA basketball 2009, oh, God, which I didn't even know now. I had, which I was <laughs> mad at myself in the first place because they're going for like 60 bucks online. I was like, I could have been playing this this whole time, but now I'm just never going to be productive again. <laughs> Is that the one with Blake Griffin on the front? It's the one with uh, Kevin Love on the front. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. It's good. It's not great, but it, you know, it it gets the job done, especially when there's <laughs> hasn't been one in over a decade. I used to I used to recreate like all the the CSU rosters on there. I can't remember which one it was that I was playing that had had you know Greg and Dwight and Jesse and. And all those guys on it. <laughs> I remember, I remember playing it one day, and and then like being around those guys and being like, "Oh, that's kind of weird." <laughs> <laughs> it definitely changes when you like meet those people and they become like actual human beings and right. not just like mythical basketball figures that you watch and appreciate. It's like, oh, this is like that's a dude. Like he eats at Cafe Mexicali. Like, yeah, it's just a 100%. guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm absolutely. gonna probably do a do an all time roster on that just so I can piss people off with who I end up leaving. Oh off. man, you, you got we got to I gotta help. I want I want to help. I want to help piss people off with who goes on the, who goes on the roster and who doesn't and why. And I love that you can like premise of everything. Like I'm doing it for the football team, and I like I couldn't have been more clear. Like this is opinion based. This is not a perfect system. I wanted to include multiple generations. So like some guys are kind of debatable, but like I didn't want it all to all be modern and like I'll do it. And then 
somebody, you left off Otis, whatever, in 1970, he had a great game. And I'm like, do you know how many running backs have been in the program in the last 40 years, dude? Like, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. Right. Yeah. No, if we do basketball, it will be a perfect system. And if anybody has a differing opinion, it's wrong. Exactly. So. It's just, sorry, you're, you're wrong. Why? You're just wrong. <laughs> but uh, the reason I brought Brandon on today is he's actually starting a really, really cool project called Project Rise. And instead of me like rambling on it and, and reading about the article online, I just figured I'll go straight to the source and get him on here to talk about you know what it is and what his vision for it is. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, so you know we've built this platform now over uh, what seems like a relatively short period of time um, where sometimes some of the things that we say uh, seem to matter. And so, um, you know, obviously the, uh, uh, the, the spark for where we're at now was, um, you know, the, the events of the last few weeks here and something that we had always discussed as being a problem in basketball, um, over the last few years that that we've been talking about it is being, uh, black coaches, uh, getting opportunities in, uh, specifically division one basketball. Right. Um, but we never did anything about it. You know, we, we would bring up coaches names when asked, especially for assistant hiring and things, because there's a lot of hires that we consult on, um, at the division one level now, but never like anything with purpose and intent. And so this was, this was really kind of the, the perfect opportunity for us to say like, screw it. Like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna do this. Um, so Project Rise, and, and I'll kind of dive into the why, but Project Rise is uh, a program that we're designing that is going to take uh, 10 black AAU high school or JUCO coaches and pair them up with high major head coach mentors, um, as well as some additional curriculum stuff that'll be throughout each month uh, and do this on an eight-month program. And the intention being at the end that the, these are guys that we've you know, taken uh, advice on or, or that we know that we've selected that we think should be division one support or assistant guys next year. So the idea being that when they're done, uh, their mentor is, knows them well enough, has done some work with them now, has, you know, heard them, uh, is willing to pick up the phone uh, when it comes job hiring time and say, hey, you should, you should hire my guy. Or if maybe they have their own position, right, that comes open or something. Um, especially in the support role, if it's a high major spot. Um, but you know, we're at least trying to get these guys into low major assistant spots, uh, things like that, just to inject 10 new black coaches into division one every year. Um, and, and we want to make it a big freaking deal. We, we want to, you know, we're doing this whole branding campaign with it. We're going to use the full force of our social media platform now, which is hundreds of thousands of followers and, you know, a million impressions a day on social media that we do now. And we're going to use the full force of that to get these names out there, uh, doing updates throughout the season. Um, you know, really kind of honing in on the fact that like, these are guys that need to be hired this next year. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll go 10 for 10 on that and, and then we'll just do it again and we'll do it again and do it again. And, uh, you know, really kind of the, I, you know, there's a lot of numbers that, that go into evaluating the diversity of coaching. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it, but one that's just really stark is uh, head coaches in Division One. 
Um, and 75% of head coaches in division one are white. And that's if you include HBCUs, if you remove the HBCUs, it gets even more, uh, out of whack. And, you know, with, with the, um, population on the men's side, and we're going to do this on the men's and women's side, but, um, on the, the population on the men's side is 60% of the athletes are black and only 25% of the head coaches are black. And there's not really a valid reason for that, you know? Um, yeah, those numbers just don't really line up. It's like if, if three out of your five of your players were, were, you know, black and they were good enough to play, how, right. how is that not translating to coaching younger talent? That doesn't, for sure. it just doesn't make any sense. And then there's, there's systemic problems in there, just like there is with systemic racism, racism in a lot of, um, areas of our country, but even within basketball, for sure, where, you know, you've got, um, white players that are asked to come back as GAs more than black players by far. Um, and, and that's where some of it starts, uh, or white players are maybe prepared to be coaches as they are still players more than black players. Um, and you know, it's, it's just lots of little things that then kind of build up steam over time to where all of a sudden now these white coaches as they're hiring think that uh, the most viable candidates for them are these white coaches that are being hired. Um, There are programs in division one that don't have a single black staff member, Um, you know, whether it's support or assistant, uh, which is crazy Uh, because there's this, this ridiculous unwritten rule in basketball that you need to have at least one black assistant of your three. And, um, and and some guys don't even don't even follow the unwritten rule, right? Um, you know, at the high major level, there are quite a number of programs that have two black assistants, but there's only and, I, and I'm I'm not going to get the number right probably, but Jeff Goodman did a, a study on it, um, and he's still doing some studies on diversity in basketball deeper than the NCAA does. And I want to say there's eight, maybe maybe eight um, black coaches in all of P five. Um, but the vast majority of programs that have two black assistants, um, are in P five programs. So, uh, you've got this, it's like it's 71% or something of P fives, uh, have white coaches. Uh, but then the majority of the programs that have two black assistants are in P five. So basically what they're saying is the guys are good enough to do the job, but they're not good enough to be in charge. And that's a problem. Um, How much just, of that do you think is stemming down from like university presidents? And I mean, there are obviously like the, there are arguments about the entire educational system that need to be right. reformed. But I just wonder, like, it has to be like prejudice involved, obviously, to an extent. But it almost kind of seems yeah. like that, like, it reminds me of in football, the notion where they have, you know, white guys or quarterbacks because they're leaders right. and then they move you know, the black athletes elsewhere because they're more athletic. And it almost kind of seems like that's like seeping into basketball to an extent. Like, like you said, they're, they're preparing white players to be coaches more often, almost as if like intrinsically they have these leadership skills or whatever to lead a team. And then the black players go on to play because they're more athletic. Like it's just all these racist undertones that have just kind of seeped through unchecked. 
it's it's everywhere it um <clears throat> you know the trickle down effect not only with the presidents and the ad's um but you know like we get <laughs> I, I i get these responses now because um we've been more vocal about what we we do and so you get these insane responses from people that say well you know is that any different than the racism against white people that exists that there aren't more white players at the professional level in the money sports and i'm like what are you talking about like this is what <laughs> like that's not how this works like being an athlete is is an incredibly objective thing right yeah. like once especially when you get to that point like when you're a kid or whatever and you're like well i'm better than jimmy you know, like, yeah, there's some subjectivity to it because you're a bunch of idiot kids running around and, you know, whatever. But when you get to that level, like, everything's objective. How fast is your fastball? You know, what's your three-point percentage? What's, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and everything is measured and everything is under a microscope and is super finite. And, and such an incredibly higher percentage of the evaluation is objective. So, you know what? That's going to fall where it may because you're not really like dealing with subjectivity here, at least, at least not enough to drive a systemic racist problem against white people. Like, come on, like you out of your damn mind. And so then when you get into the discussion, we say, look, like, like, uh, you know, in coaching, like this is, this is not an objective, like finite science. Like there is a lot to go. And then all of a sudden you get like the super racists that come out and they're like, well, maybe they're just not very good at it. I'm like, you need to get the fuck off my Twitter handle <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, you know, you're about to get canceled. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, now, now we wind up in this system where uh, if I'm talking to coaches about, um, you know, hiring and stuff, like guys privately have like some really weird thought processes in, in, in what they do. Um, there are guys like uh, Luke Yaklich at UIC uh, that was incredibly pointed the minute that he was hired in that he said, I'm, I'm going to have two black assistants. He says, I'm, that's just what we're going to do. That's, you know, um, and, and I applaud that. Um, you know, some people may look at that and say, well, gee whiz, you know, why don't you just hire the, the, the best coaches and and whatever and and hey i i get it like you know you're trying to win ball games and whatever and if you just happen to like that's well, the we're not, we're not saying there aren't good white basketball coaches. right yeah that's never been the argument no no it, and and you know i get that thrown in my face a lot as well as like you know well hey what if you've got this great white coach over here and it's like you know what man like i am white i understand that every day that i wake up like i get a head start on you know my my friends, my peers that are black. Like I get a head start just by the way that I look. And the thought process of like, I'm going to quote, hire the best guy uh, has led us to a point where the vast majority of coaches are white. And for somebody that is as involved in the business as I am and has an intimate understanding of who these, uh, all the coaches, white or black, uh, are as people and um, their X's and O's acumen and their ability to recruit and all the things that go into coaching, I can assure you that not just the best guys are being hired. Oh, no, no way. I mean, to me, like you see it repeatedly when these guys who, you know, drag around 500 at best, 
have mediocre scheduling to get themselves bonuses, but don't ever actually accomplish anything. And somehow they just keep getting recycled over and over again, getting these, you know, same jobs. And at some point it's like, you know, you look at an assistant on like an up and coming staff, like CSU or somewhere else. And it's like, how, how are these guys not in the conversation, but this, you know, 60 something year old dude who's never done anything, hasn't been to a tournament in 15 years yep. is still getting jobs. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll see it, um, <clears throat> you know, when we're talking about maybe hiring somebody who's a sitting head coach, then you're looking for a, a, a high major spot or something. And you say, wow, you know, this guy would be great. Took his team to the tournament. Uh, you know, he's had in the last 10 years, he's had, you know, five 20 win seasons and, and, you know, whatever. And it's like, this guy would be great. And it's like, hey, Lavelle Moten has been to four NCAA tournaments in the last 10 years, plus an NIT, probably would have made the NCAA tournament this year if they'd had the MEAC tournament. So that would have been six and 11 plus an NIT. The guys won 28 games in an HBCU where you have to get bought like seven or eight times. He beat NC State that year. You know who doesn't get a sniff for a lot of these jobs? Lavelle Moten. And, and Lavelle is, is very outspoken um, in a in a good way. Um, I think there's some of the things that he says or does that quote, rub people the wrong way. But you know what? Like if there's a white coach that's out there, that's, you know, saying what he thinks and, you know, being, um, uh, you know, very forthcoming on social media and stuff like that, people say that's a leader, you know, that's, that's a guy that gets it. And it's like, no, wait a minute. You know, like, like I love Tim miles. Right. And, and that's my guy. And you want to talk about a guy that says what he thinks and just like, you know, hits the social media and stuff and every, like everybody loved and embraced that. Right. Yeah. They were like, Oh, look at this quirky Tim miles. He's at it again. Yeah. So, but Lavelle Moton gets the like, Oh man, this guy just talks too much, you know? And he, he, whatever. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like this is one of the winningest coaches currently sitting in basketball. Like, you ma- can you imagine not being able to get a higher level job going to the NCAA tournament four times? Like going to the NCAA tournament 40% of the time? I mean, guys guys go to the tournament once and use it to jump ship. Yeah. like Regularly. I, <laughs> you do you it know, twice, I mean, it you're probably in the conversation for a P5 job. Yeah. Four times. And it's not like four times 15 years ago and he just hasn't done anything since then right yeah you all know, recently yeah i mean the, the guy's been the head coach at nc central for 11 years now and and it, let's assume that he would have made some sort of postseason this year uh that would have been postseason uh six out of 11 times at an hbcu that doesn't happen yeah for those for those that maybe don't understand like- from a from a like a funding standpoint, what kind of obstacles is he having to overcome to even you know get it? Because it's not like they have the funding that Duke men's basketball has. No, or, yeah, I mean, or even like a high mid major to an extent. He does an unbelievable job with like what's available to him resource wise. But at the end of the day, like North Carolina Central is not going to have the kind of money that even similar level schools uh, that aren't HBCUs have. Um, it's just, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that go into that, the endowment and, and, uh, you know, what you receive donation wise and all that kind of stuff. Like, so what he's accomplishing there is crazy. 
because and you can't even you can't even throw in the like well you know he's doing it in the MIAC. What the hell is the difference between doing it in the MIAC and doing it in the NEC? If somebody went to the NCAA tournament four times in ten years in the NEC, they'd probably be the next coach at Syracuse. Yeah, it's like they're they're the next like name in the Big East or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know that all of those systemic issues, all the things that we're talking about there, there's it's just it's like you you try and unpack it. And it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. You know, it's just like, oh shit, there's problems coming left and right that are leading to this scenario that we're in now. And and so then you got when you step back and you say, How am I gonna how am I gonna change this? I, you know, one of the things is going to be uh that we've got to get more viable candidates uh into the coaching ranks. Um, because there is this like system of recycling of coaches as well that happens, especially in black coaching, because not very many white coaches take the effort to expand their network to know a lot of these coaches. And so sometimes maybe a coach who isn't very good uh, keeps getting a job because he just happens to be the black guy that people know. And so they're like, oh, I need a black assistant, uh, that guy, right? And as opposed to, uh, really putting the thought and the effort into the hire. You know, if you're hiring a black coach, that could actually be your most important hire. But coaches don't look at it that way. They look at it as a throwaway hire a lot of times. It's the recruiter hire. Like, you know, okay, well, he's super tied into, you know, Louisiana. So we're just going to hire him for that. And it's like, you understand, like, if you're hiring somebody that looks like the vast majority of your players, that's probably your most important hire. Because that's the guy that immediately, the second he walks into the room, is going to have something. Without opening his mouth, he's going to have something that the players can associate with. And that's powerful. And so rather than use this as a throwaway hire and just hire some guy, we want to help inject new names into Division One. We want to help with the networking. We're going to be reaching out to head coaches who maybe we feel like don't have a strong network of, of black coaches. And we're going to say, Hey, let, let's help. We want to help you. We want to help you get to know more coaches. We want you to be able to expand your network. We're going to help you with that. And, and so that way, when it comes time for you to do your hiring, like you've got all these awesome guys to choose from. And uh, we want to, we want to help kind of upset the idea where, you know, well, I've already got a black coach. Yeah. Did you know you can have three? I don't know if you knew that or not, but like, hey, if somebody can have three white coaches, why can't somebody have three black coaches? But the number of times we get thrown in our face that like, you know, I've got a black coach or, you know, whatever. And it's like, God dang, you know, Penny Collins talked about on our podcast one day about some one time he was interviewing for a job and, and the head coach said, um, yeah, there's two of you for your spot. Oh, man. And it was like, what do you mean my spot? There were two jobs open, but Penny and this other coach were only interviewing for one of those spots. Because they and only wanted one black coach. They only wanted one black coach. And and so, you know, that's that's something that is not spoken about, that's not out in the open. People aren't seeing that discussion on social media. Uh, so we're going to start having that discussion and do things like this and tell people like, hey, yeah, you know how you think like, uh, sometimes that uh, things are are equitable and things are okay and whatever. Well, guess what? They're not. Like 
you know, when you actually dive back into the weeds of, of how this business works, not only in basketball, I mean, it's, it's in a lot of areas of not only society, but uh, sports uh, in football and, and everything as well. Like we're going to start having the discussion and you know what, like, if you don't like the discussion, I don't care. Like, <laughs> are you noticing that coaches have been receptive to this because it's not always easy, you know, getting checked, especially if you feel like, you know, you're the good guy, like you bring up some of these guys when they're like, I already have a black coach. And maybe like in their mind, they like they thought they were doing the right thing or like enough. But it's one yeah. of those situations where it's kind of like, yeah, you do, but you're kind of doing the bare minimum here and not necessarily even for the right reasons. Yeah, no, th- I mean, the, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, there's actually from, from the coaching world, not been anything negative because I think even if somebody wants to be negative, they're not stupid. You know, they, they know better than to say something. Well, we would hope so. I mean, if you, if you're being paid however much money to coach basketball and at least have that much social awareness. And I think, I think what will, you know, my hope is that because of a lot of this, a, a lot of, uh, things in general that are going on today are so public now that maybe guys that in the past, you know, may, maybe they are, I, I'm not calling anybody out as being a racist in basketball right now. You know, like I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt that, you know, some reflection and some self evaluation as far as their program and what they think about when they go into hires and all that sort of stuff is something that can be changed down the road. Maybe, maybe it turns out somebody's just, you know, a, a real asshole. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I think a lot of guys are evaluating um, uh, kind of how they've perceived um, how basketball is going. You know, uh, like oh no, things are fine. Like no, they're not. Okay, you're right, they're not. And guys are starting to now think about like how they can help. Um, reception on uh, in the public uh, a little more mixed for sure. Um, I mean, we see that everywhere now. Where uh, yeah, you've got all sorts of like people that say dumb shit on social media just because they want to stir the pot because there's something broken in their brain. Um, but then you've also got, uh, people, I got an email last night, um, this incredibly racist, long, long email, uh, about, uh, they were upset that I was promoting black coaches. Um, cause I've started tweeting about like some of the ridiculous lack of hires with some of these guys. Right. And, uh, um, like a Lavelle Moton or Jamie McNeely down at Texas A&M. Like when you look at his, his resume for coaching, you're like, holy crap. Like how is this guy not a high major head coach at this point already? Right. Um, and, and so they didn't like that I was doing that. Um, and that by not uh, promoting white coaches uh, that I myself was being racist, uh, which is funny because, if you think back about like the majority of the conversations that I have uh, privately, publicly, whatever, like it's white coaches, right? Like, I mean, there's still like great dudes that we talk about and they're, they're good in this business and whatever. Like all of a sudden in a very short period of time, you suddenly start talking about a lot of black coaches. Like now suddenly like you're the anti-white guy, white guy. And I'm like, I don't, well, I mean, it's kind of, you know, the same crowd that draws to the all lives matter type yeah, rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah it's just, all lives matter guy. Yeah. And, and then, and the, but then, then the email got super crazy. The, the email like started going down the path of like, why, 
there shouldn't be more black coaches. And oh man, so like he really went for it. Oh yeah, he went he went all in. He went. All I guess in if you're gonna it. racist, you might as well go full blown. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna racist, like racist hard. Um, and uh, and so it was obviously this super disturbing email. Um, and but the 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 sad part is is like that's the guy that decided to say something, which means there's a whole shitload of people that actually think that and just don't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's. I, I think now we're at a time in society where people um, have said, okay, that's enough. Like, like for, for some reason, um, and I don't know what it is, and somebody will go back and, and do a, a study on, on what changed, uh, where, you know, in that week with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and a number of other um, people that, that lost their lives in the last few weeks, uh, everybody finally said enough, right? Like, like Ferguson, you, you thought Ferguson was going to be maybe the spark and it just wasn't. Yeah. It, in the moment, it felt like sort of like a tipping point and then it just kind of died off after, you know, four or five days. But yeah. this has been consistent now. We're going on, you know, basically a month straight Yeah. of, you know, it, continued protests and everything else. And it's it's been encouraging, I think. As I know there's been property damage and all that, but... I, I mean, I don't think people really fully wrap their head around the scope of the systemic racism in our society. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, like, does do any of us like to see looting and buildings burning or whatever for small business owners stuff? Of course not. No, that's what, and it wasn't the goal from the start. No. Do I understand that if you're going to have a revolutionary change for something that's been ingrained in our society for 400 years, there's going to be some mess. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't I think that kind coming. of change necessarily comes by being like, hey, please be, please stop killing. Right. Please stop being hateful. Yeah. Like, like Rodney King happened in 92, was it? 92, I think so, I 92 think? or 93. So between 1992 and 2020, there was a whole lot of like, please, that was said like, hey, please stop killing us. Please let us into college. Please give me a home loan. Please let me live in this apartment building. And nothing changed, right? Like the incarceration rate of, uh, you know, young African-American men went through the roof when the crime rate for white crime was going up. And it was like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't compute with, with crime rates. And it turns out, gee whiz, there's systemic racism in, in just how we arrest people and who we charge with what. And it's like, you know, hey, please, please don't give me 20 years for a crime that you just gave the white guy next to me probation for, you know, and they, everybody's been saying please for, for so long. And finally, it's like, done saying please. And look, I get that, you know, the news cycle, it's been heavy. And I think to an extent, when you take in all of this for weeks on end, like it, it's hard on people's psyche, but also, like for those that are, you know, maybe feeling a little bit fatigued about hearing all of this, imagine that, you know, imagine living it every single right. day for your entire life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody said that to me the other day. They're like, oh, it's just getting exhausting. And I'm like, oh, is it? That's sad. Exactly. You know, and, and, and even for someone like myself, like absolutely in no way, shape or form should anybody be putting like what we're doing on a pedestal, because honestly, what we're doing is so long overdue. Um, like literally talking about it, just the bare minimum, being willing to like accept the scope of how bad things are and like 
just listening yeah. at times acting you know we don't know we don't know all the answers we don't no and and none of this is something that any of us really in our heart of hearts is like new to i mean there are certain examples like like anybody listening to this should really go watch uh the documentary uh the 13th yes and absolutely and that that's this super eye-opening thing where you all of a sudden can visualize what systemic racism looks like. And that some, some things like that are new to me, right? Where it's like, geez, okay, I understand now a little better the constructs of what create um, this system now. But it's not, like, it's not like prevalent racism is new to us. Like we no, knew the things were going on. We knew what people were saying. I mean, hell, all you had to do was uh, drive through certain towns and certain parts of the country and you go, oh shit, like there's, you know, still lots of crazy people out there. But now this is really kind of the time where I think the vast majority of people, because I feel like it's vast majority. I, st- I feel like the vast majority of people have said, all right, that's enough of this. You know, um, there's still a lot of people that need to actually take some actionable uh, approach to it, whatever that looks like in their life. You know, you use the platform you have. Um, like I don't, I don't want to shame people. I think th- when they did the whole black square thing on Instagram, yeah, there was a lot of like negative backlash. You know, like what are you doing? You're not doing anything. And I get that, like to an extent. There's obviously a lot of phonies on social media that are just yeah. doing it for clout. But I don't like that approach necessarily because people are like they're trying, they're trying to raise awareness. I, I they got to do more. Yeah. Something just, is always better than nothing. Exactly. That's kind of where I you come know. from. It's um, like people are trying to do more than they were doing in the past. I don't want to shame that. Right. And maybe somebody puts a black too. square up on Instagram as the first time they've ever made any sort of like commentary on what's going on. And maybe that leads to them actually having a discussion with somebody. And then that leads to them doing some of their own research and leads to, and leads to, and leads to. And, and I, and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, you know, that, that our generation that is now uh, ingrained in the internet and social media and things like that, where, you know, we're able to actually observe the world and observe current events in such a way that no other, you know, generation in history has been able to, and it's our generation that then is seeing this and going, none of this is okay. And, and then is the one that makes the change. You know, we still, just even in voting, right? Like the percentage of voters is still drastically skewed towards older people, right? That's true. That yeah. and, vote. and so, you know, maybe this is the time now that everybody goes, this is ridiculous. And this huge portion of the population that has not voted before that has felt disenfranchised by the um, just the discussions and, and being talked down to and watching the news and realizing that, you know, whatever they're talking about really has no relevancy or does don't feel like there's any relevancy to them. Now, all of a sudden there is, there's these huge relevant topics and what we vote for and how we have those political discussions and who we support, like actually really matters. Um, and maybe this is, maybe this is that time, you know? You know, I really hope so. I think it's also just one of those times where you just got to recognize, like, we don't, we don't know everything. We're never going to be able to fully comprehend it, but you, the, the obligation to go out and, you know, find education, find resources on this stuff. Like, 
it's on us. Like, yeah. look, I grew up, I went to public schools and, you know, I got obviously the whitewashed version of everything and you could go into a whole thing on that. I mean, just look at how they teach Thanksgiving is this like, <laughs> Oh, and then they had dinner and everybody sang songs and it was everybody great. Watched football afterwards. Yeah. Like <laughs> or, I but so. I think like today is a perfect example to talk about it, given that it's, you know, Juneteenth. Yeah. Something that I was never once taught about. And, in you know, public schools, I took even like advanced U S history courses in high school. Yeah. How did it not go over that? Like this nope. was something I didn't learn about till I was like 17 years old. My AP US history course. And I think it was like, Watchmen that I learned it from. So like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like my my AP US history course uh for sure did not dive into That's my point. Like if I thought like I thought I had this like advanced education. Yeah. And it's it, I mean it's to an extent it was, but like it's just an example of all of the the convenient things that are left out to make it more can you know nice and di- digestible i guess for the white audience but right we gotta like, be we gotta get comfortable with being uncomfortable it, 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 i the uh i remember i remember in in class talking about uh apollo 13 and and you know the teacher talking about you know these different people involved and the the head of nasa um and you know his his uh, role in the moon landing prior to that, and you know all these different things, and and I remember, I remember, I had read something. I don't even remember what it was, but it had talked about like the reality of that whole situation, and and I and I feel bad. I cannot remember her name, but you know, like like everybody remembers the movie, right? Apollo thirteen, mm-hmm. and they remember. Uh, you know, the, the, the big room of white guys, you know, leading them back and, you know, whatever the lady that did the math that figured it all out, like on what they needed to do was black. She worked in the basement. Probably the, the, the most important aspect of that. Yeah. Like you screw that math up. Everything's done. They're flying right past earth. Right. Um, and, uh, nobody ever talks about her. I mean, hell, I can't remember her name right now and I feel bad about that, but like, that's that's part of the education that that we deserved. Everybody everybody hears about Jim Lovell and everybody hears about you know these different guys, but hell, she's the one she's the one that made sure their butts wound up back on Earth, you know. Um, and that's and you're right. That's just like another just a tiny fraction of a detail in in the entire education system, uh, which then leads to this, which leads to that, which leads to this, and all of a sudden we wind up in this situation where I've got people emailing me telling me that black people can't be coaches because they're not smart enough. And, you know, here we are. All right. We'll get right back to the podcast in a second, but folks golf is here. That's right. We have another full weekend of golf ahead of us. And even though the trophy is reserved for the winner, the big cash winnings don't have to be to add to the excitement. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app is putting you in the center of the action with a big sign up bonus up to $1,000. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, and even hole-by-hole live betting. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to one. dollars 
thousand dollars. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with the sign up bonus of up to one thousand dollars. Just under the code DNBR when you sign up. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be twenty-one or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to five hundred dollars. Deposit bonus requires twenty-five times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two forty seven hundred. You know, kind of segueing off of that. Recently, in in northern Colorado, obviously there was you know a disappointing incident where a CSU football player and his coworker were held at gunpoint by a guy who may or not may have some mental health issues. I don't know. There have been some reports that have come out, but based on everything we've gathered, it was obviously like racially motivated and just a pretty horrific incident of, of hatred in, in, in our community. And I think it's always disappointing when you have something happen like that, especially in a place like CSU that kind of tries to pride itself on like, you know, together and we and we're a community right. and all this. But I think it's a good moment to recognize there's a lot more of this that happens than we're, we maybe want to admit. I mean, even in the last couple of years on campus, there have been, you know, there was like an incident with blackface and a swastika and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, we want to pretend that we're this big welcoming community, but until we get rid of some of this stuff, you can't really claim that. Yeah, I think... I think people observe universities a lot of times as as a place of progression and understanding and diversity and things like that. And, and for the most part, you know, I, I think they are, uh, you're going to have your idiot students who have idiot parents, uh, who had their own idiot parents that have, you know, fed down these, these ridiculous ideals and, and, um, you know, racism and, and things like that, anti-Semitism. Um, you know, and, and that filters down to that. But I don't think people give us enough credit in Northern Colorado for um, just how undiverse uh, our life experiences are. Um, you know, you have a lot of people that are in Northern Colorado that are from Northern Colorado. Like, mm-hmm. it's beautiful up there. Nobody wants to leave, right? Um, and so there's there's a lot of people that haven't experienced a lot in the world, and you've got some people with some wonderful hearts that that say, you know what, I haven't experienced a lot, but I want to, and and they're the helpers, right? They're the helpers in the world, but there are plenty of people that also like status quo, and maybe they say, well, look, I'm not racism, like I'm not racist. There's you know a black guy in my office, and like we eat lunch like once a week, it's great, and but then like when things start getting some pressure built up, they're like, well, okay. Like that's enough. Like, you know, my black friend and I, we're going to have lunch next week. And I'm pretty good here. guys. Yeah. We're we're doing good. Like, let's not, let's not upset the apple cart. Um, and so like even this guy that, that did whatever he did, whether he's got mental health issues or not, let's just assume that he does, uh, just because you have mental health issues doesn't make you a racist. No, like no, you're the only reason I brought that up was just obviously like the gun involved. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, he did something like super crazy that, you know, was let's just assume he had some mental health issues. He learned his racism from somebody. Oh yeah. And you you don't, you're not born thinking that way. So this guy starts screaming about Antifa. I can't imagine where he would have heard all that. You know, what, what would have, what would have driven him to the point where he says like, Oh, you know, there, there's clearly Antifa on this roof over here. And I need to now uphold my second amendment, right. And hold them at gunpoint 
and you know, whatever. And it's like, like, damn, like we all know where that came from, you know? And, and if, if that guy's listening to it and interpreting it to that extreme level, and again, let's just assume because he has some mental health issues and he's not able to filter out, uh, you know, some reality there. Shit, there's people that are listening to that that don't have mental health issues that are taking something away from it, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and saying, well, gosh, gee whiz, you're right. Like, you know, that god dang Antifa, well, we better not let them up into Fort Collins. And it's like, what does that even mean? You know, and and the fact that some people are willing to take that next step to thinking about that that's an issue they need to worry about or whatever, whatever the hell this boogeyman is that's coming that, uh, you know, they need to be afraid of, like, you know, we've, we've got to do a better job, um, of eliminating those, those sorts of things before they fester and grow. And, you know, in, unfortunately in Northern Colorado, I think because of a lack of a lot of diversity, um, up there that I, I think some of those things find an easier way of, of, um, planting themselves than maybe we realize. You know, it's just, it's when it doesn't impact you every day. Yeah. It's a lot easier to just, you know, go on with your everyday life and no, it's, it's not that big of a problem here. Like that was, that was disappointing, but you know, most, most of us are great and most, most people in Northern Colorado are great. Right. So but now it's like the guys that aren't in the most, like we're we just going to ignore it about it. Yeah. Like now it's got to be okay to talk about it. Like, Hey, you know how you got that one neighbor that makes all those racist jokes. You need to tell him to shut the hell up next time. Like, don't give me the like, well, he's free to think whatever he wants. Like, nah, that's not how this works. Like, like maybe yeah, he's free to, I'm also free to tell you that you're an ignorant. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, he is free to do whatever he wants and say what he wants and whatever. And the rest of society is free to ostracize him to the point where he falls into the shadows and never comes out. Cause if that's, that's yeah, who he is, totally. get rid of him. Like, like let him go do his thing. It, it, it's, it's okay to, uh, it's okay to ostracize a racist. <laughs> like that's all right. It's, it, you know, I, I, I think that's something that we've done as a society where we've, we've normalized racism to the point where if somebody makes a joke or if somebody has an opinion on something that is clearly racist or whatever, we're like, ah, well, you know, they are what they were when it's like, what? Okay, cool. Well, we got to get rid of that. No, I totally agree. It's just this, like, you know, you don't that you don't want the tension or whatever. You know, you want it to be as comfortable as possible. So you just kind of sure. let it go. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't that big of a deal. Well, those things add up over time, man. It's way easier to just go through life chilling and being like, "Hey, man, just like I'm, I'm down with letting everybody do their thing. I'm just trying to do my thing." And like, you're right. That is a lot easier. But unfortunately, if you're black, you don't get the you don't get to do that. Like your life is never easier. You don't get to say like, I'm just trying to do my thing, man. Everybody do your deal. I'm trying to do my deal. Cause you know what? There's a whole bunch of people that don't like your deal. And when you get pulled over, you have to worry about somebody really not liking your deal. Like I've been pulled over six times, right? I've gotten two tickets for speeding. You know what? I've never had to worry about somebody yanking me out of my car and putting a gun to my head. Has never even crossed my mind. The thing that I am the most worried about is: Are they going to give me a ticket? Yeah. Am I going to be inconvenienced by this? Yeah. Like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta give a hundred dollars, you know, for a ticket. And 
Um, I don't want to use his name, but uh, a, a player that um, everybody listening to this would know uh, called me one time after he was driving home and um, had been pulled over. And it was, you know, supposedly for speeding, but the cop immediately came up and yanked him out of the, the car and had him laying on the ground, spread eagle, searching him for speeding. Why'd you pull me over? You were speeding. So why are you, so why are you being searched then? Yeah. And, and everybody can guess why he was being searched, you know? So, um, those, those are the kind of normalizations in our society that, that like before people might've said like, Hey, that's not very nice, you know, quietly. And then just kind of walked away, whatever. And now it's like kicking the door, like this shit's done. Like we're not doing this anymore. Well, especially, you know, for, for someone like us, people might be in like, you know, why are these, you know, two white guys up here rambling about it? Like I said earlier, it's, you know, our obligation to raise awareness to this stuff, but especially as, as two people who make a living in, you know, basketball, college basketball, our entire livelihood is basically, you know, stems from this game, which obviously we benefit greatly from, you know, black student athletes and and black coaches and the work they're doing. I just, I'd feel like such a hypocrite if the, I just didn't say anything about this for months. And, you know, yeah. just, well, it did, you know, I don't want to alienate people. I don't want to do this. How are, you know, how are those student athletes ever supposed to, you know, respect me or trust me again? 100%. If, if I don't have their backs. Like ra- racism is not an issue for the black community to solve. Racism is a white guy problem. Like we did, we created, yeah, it's on. We created it. We gotta get rid of it. Yeah, we created it. We perpetuate it. We're the only ones that can fix it. You know, like having these discussions where, you know, in the past maybe it was uncomfortable to say like, "Hey, like if you're going to be like this, like, like we're we're cutting you out. You know, I'm I'm done with you, and, and don't need you. And uh, you know, now that now that I think it has fortunately become um, uh, a, a bit of a wave, uh, I guess I, I would, I would say a wave of people saying, you know what, enough's enough. Like, cool. Now that, now that we're getting to the point where we can have these discussions and really the only people that you're truly fighting back against are people that you want nothing to do with anyways. Uh, cause you're like, oh yeah. Okay. I don't ever want to talk to you again. I don't ever want to talk to you again. Like you're making it, people have made it so much easier to figure out who to unfollow on social media. No, totally. Like, like it's so much easier now to just like click that button and be like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, you're done and you're done and whatever. Because well, and the thing, it's not even a, it's not a right wing, left wing. I mean, there are influences obviously because of the current administration. Sure. But it's a human rights issue. Yeah. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian yeah, I'm not or whatever. Up here being like, are. all Republicans are racist. All no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm literally like, just what are you about? As, as do you human. care about people? Yeah. All people. hundred percent. So, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's become, it's become easier to recognize. It's become easier to, uh, speak up and speak out. And, and that my hope is that, that this just continues. People look at it as device. Oh, you know, you're just dividing, right? Like, why would you create divisiveness? I had somebody tell me that because of what I was doing with project rise, I was just creating more, uh, divisiveness. And I'm like, you realize how insane that is? Like, 
the Trying actual to, opposite. Yeah. Like the complete opposite, like, like dry, pushing for inclusion and diversity is divisiveness. Like that's not how that works, man. But you know what? You just made it real easy for me to unfollow and not listen to you anymore. So. I'm curious, you know, obviously we're seeing universities kind of do more, I think, in 2020 than they would have even, you know, back in like 2016, 2017, when some of the kneeling started, because it was, you know, the the risk of alienation, not wanting to cause a political uprising or whatever, you right. know, not wanting to piss off one side or the other. Um, at this point, you know, what what can schools do? What are What are some things that they can do to just be better to 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 be better you know allies for people of color color to be more resourceful for student athletes and maybe even to like educate fans i think yeah i mean i i think athletes have always um felt pressure to not say something to not do something um and schools need to meet with these athletes and say it's okay like come talk to us and then the school needs to be prepared to act on, react to, you know, um, evaluate whatever is said to them. Uh, because I think there have been times in the past, uh, no, I know there have been times in the past where athletes have gone to the school and the school said, okay, we hear you, but like, you just need to keep that on the low and we'll, you know, they don't privately. want to face the backlash. Like, yeah, like yeah, we sympathize, you know, but like, you got to realize like, we're this, trying to protect the brand and whatever. Yeah. And, what I think is is slowly, slowly changing is that actually the best way to protect the brand is to publicly acknowledge, recognize, and change. Because if you don't, people are now canceling you. Like you are now the enemy of progress. And people aren't going to stand for that anymore. You know, it used to be that they were worried about people saying like, Hey, I'm not going to uh, donate. I'm not going to buy my season tickets because you know we gotta. We got. I, I don't want to hear about these you know uppity athletes with their opinions on race and you know whatever. Like now, you need to worry more about saying, "Hey, I understand that you were trying to you know quell this uh, this racist issue internally, and so that you looked good." Well, now I'm not donating, and I'm not. Uh, buying my season tickets. And that that's that's the larger group, or at least it feels like that's becoming the larger group now that uh, they need to worry about. And when that transition happens to you're worried about pissing off uh, you know racists and and people that that don't want any sort of progress, and now you're more worried about, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? Like I'm not saying that I expect presidents and ADs and stuff to suddenly like change their stripes. And, and suddenly be super supportive of community and stuff. We know that they're looking at it in a very black and white dollars and cents standpoint. So now if they're worried about people saying, you know what, um, you're kind of a racist asshole, like, and, and I think you have done some real damage here and you're not about progress. Well, I'm not about supporting you now. And that's a very fine line that athletics have to worry about because, um, you know, athletics are, are in some ways in trouble anyways, uh, in ways of finding, uh, you know, support from the community and stuff. And if, if all of a sudden they get slapped around with uh, money, 
where people are withholding it because it turns out that that school is propping up some sort of societal issue uh, and is on the wrong side of it, they're going to feel it in the pocketbook. It's going to be really interesting. It feels like, like for the maybe the first time in my lifetime, it's like the the more it makes more sense from a from like from a public support standpoint. There's so much public support for these that it's there. You know the companies, you know Nike, all of these places. They're just like, look, this is where we stand. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, you got the NFL. To I mean, they got Goodell to do go against everything that they've gone against, basically. Yeah. Which obviously, there's an argument that that's you know basically all just posturing. Oh, for sure, hundred uh, percent is all posturing. The but, fact that they have to do it shows yeah. that you know we're kind of getting to that point. We're starting. They're now to turn more the tide. worried. They're now more worried about the fans saying, "You know what? I'm just done with the NFL. I'm not going to games anymore. I'm not buying jerseys. I'm not whatever." Like. There's this massive problem that, you know, is going on in society. And the NFL is so goddamn worried about their shield that that you're not willing to do the right thing. They're now worried about that guy pulling his money more so than they were worried about, like, you know, well, gall dang it. Like, I can't believe you're disrespecting. You I know, just want football. I don't yeah, want my like, athletes to be keep your politics beings. out and whatever. Like, they're not really worried about that because that guy, that guy is now. Uh, a, a much probably smaller number than I think they realized. And the number that says like, hey, you guys need to start doing the right thing or I'm out, like that number is much bigger. And Goodell sat there with his ledger and looked at it and went, oh, gee whiz. Like, you know, Nike, Nike made an ad campaign uh, involving a guy that wasn't even a professional athlete anymore on a super like hot button issue and their stock went through the roof. That's what cracked me up about the we're never going to buy Nikes again crowd. And it's, it's like, well, the people that support them are going to buy two or three times more. So 100%. I think they're going to be okay. 100%. Like, and that's, <laughs> that's even removing the fact that you know all these Nike products made with um, some interesting labor practices overseas. Like, exactly. Like there, I mean, we could get into that, obviously. With the, but <laughs> but I'm, people I'm were not so sure. adamantly about, like people that weren't buying Nikes before because of that were now like, you know what, I'm going to buy some Nikes because Colin Kaepernick is, is now got this, you know, he's got the support of Nike. Like that's how powerful that was. And, and everybody looked at it and went, ah, crap. Like the guy, the guy, you know, burning his air monarchs on the front of his lawn while wearing his American flag polo shirt, like is not actually that large of a consumer compared to the rest of society. And, you know, that's where Roger Goodell probably sat down and um, magically had a change of heart on how he feels about kneeling uh, and supporting, <laughs> supporting that. And uh, uh, it turns out oddly enough that uh, um there's probably more money in doing the right thing uh, than there is in doing the wrong thing and hoping nothing bad happens. It's always been weird to me that leagues have been like so set on ostracizing their talent and the people that like make the entire thing work. It's just like it's taken till 2020 for some of these leagues to finally yeah. be like, hey, maybe uh, maybe we should do a little bit more for them. I think the NBA kind of really set it off with giving you know some some player empowerment and just giving them a little bit more of a voice. Well, and I think because in the NBA, the individual has so much power, right? Like 
Tom Brady at his peak uh, has nowhere near the power uh, marketing wise uh, or any, or, you know, marketing dollars wise um, as a ton of NBA guys, right? Like if you think about, okay, from the NBA, the best player in the NFL, the best player, I mean, it's night and day, right? Um, oh, yeah. You know, the, the LeBrons and Stephs of the world versus yeah. the individual black athlete in the NBA has more power than just about anybody in the world outside of maybe a Cristiano Ronaldo or something. And that's just by the sheer scope of the game uh, with soccer around the world. But from a, from a marketing, advertising, uh, ability to make change standpoint, like the NBA had players that have the most power and the NBA figured that out real quick and was like, Oh geez, you know, like David Stern was a good dude. David Stern, um, recognized that and helped, um, you know, in, 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 in as many ways as I think he felt he could, you know, he could have done more for sure, but, uh, helped foster some of that. And then silver picked it up and was like, yeah, let's do it. Like silver's not stupid. And, and I think he's a good guy and I think he gets it. And, and I'm not saying he made these changes because of sheer, uh, marketability and dollars and cents, but God dang, he would have been stupid if he had tried to fight it, you know? Like, yeah. Like he has no power compared to these players and no. he knows it. Yeah. He knows it. So basically what the players want, like the league gets behind, you know? So I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I mean, I think you are too, obviously, but it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Obviously I think it's going to be an interesting more couple of weeks, especially if uh president keeps tweeting, but yeah. Brandon, thank you for coming on and, and talking about this. Uh, yeah, you bet, man. You know, Appreciate it's, you it's always on. great to get your perspective and, you know, you're one of the guys I envy in the game because I think you genuinely do, you know, care about other people and try to do the right thing. And I just think there's a lot of people in this industry when it comes to the media side, when it comes to the coaching side, when it comes to the camps, all that, there's a lot of people that are just in it, you know, for their own self-interest. And, you know, so I just have a lot of respect for you, man. Thanks for, appreciate thanks for coming it, on. Yeah, you bet, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. We will be back with more content throughout the week. I've been in the process of moving uh, and out of, you know, just respect to everything going on. I kind of put some of the more uh, lighthearted content on the back burner. I just, I don't know, I didn't think it was appropriate to talk about, you know, video game roster with everything we had going on, you know, especially right here in our own community. So uh, please check out a column that I put out today. It's, it's just kind of talking about why I'm proud of CSU football. And the players just for taking a stand and making their voice heard. I think it's really, really powerful. I think athletes just have so much influence over a community. And to give them that platform is, it's, a, it's just a great way to, to create change. I, I, I really do think that, you know, we, there are all these people that talk about how we put too much emphasis on sports in our society. And, you know, maybe we do, but the fact of the matter is, you know, these these young men and women have great platforms and traditionally schools have kind of, you know, stifled those. They've kind of wanted people to just fall back in line and, and stick to the status quo. But, you know, kind of like what we talked about with Brandon today, it's just no more. No more is that the position people can do. But so we will be uh, like I said, we'll be back with plenty of content throughout the week. But on a final note here, I do want to talk about Manscaped and the Lawnmower 
3.0. There's not a better Father's Day gift than you, that you could give than the gift of male grooming. That's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. All year long. You're going to change your father's life, guys. These products are amazing. And, and the Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with so much more than the lawnmower. Uh, you get a bunch of different stuff. You get the crop preserver. You get the ball deodorant, which is honestly life-changing in the summertime, guys. It is uh, amazing. You get all this stuff. Free t-shirt, free underwear. It's an awesome kit. Go to the site, check it out, use the code DNVR20 for 20% off plus free shipping. I'm telling you, this is going to change your life. I, I'm not sure there's a company I can I can give my personal seal to more than Manscaped. These guys are great. Love their products, love the body wash, love the ball deodorant, love the Lawnmower 3.0. I love all of it. Just so clutch. Check it out and make your dad happy this Father's Day with a little gift of Manscaped. La, la, la.